Welcome to the Living It Up Podcast. Welcome to the Living It Up Podcast, where we explore the changing landscape of competitive golf. In this episode, we will talk about the swan song for Honda on the PGA Tour and the Crushers and Charles Howell III crushing the competition at Mayakoba. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Zero Restriction, the leader in outdoor technical golf apparel. You know you need some gear to better manage the elements, so head to zerorestriction.com and use code LIVINGITUP30 for a very generous 30% off your purchase. This is Brian. I am joined by George the Fourth and PGA Tour veteran Billy Hurley the Third. Let's start with you, George. What do you make of what you watched on the CW this weekend? I think I'll start with, I think I'm out on shorts. Uh, they did not pull off that look tremendously well. I don't know if it's because like the uniform thing, they're all getting shorts from the same company. I, I couldn't put my finger on it, but I, I tweeted about it that like, it looked like a lot of those dudes probably have cell phones on belt holsters. Like it, it was not the greatest look. And I know some of it's just because it's different. Um, we're used to, you know, what you see on the tour, pants, the whole deal. Uh, so it might just take getting some used to. And I would also say that if we're, if we're going to go to shorts, they probably need to really institute um, a ban on the high socks. Also not the greatest look. I know some British clubs, they have their very traditional rules on it. I don't think that that has made its way across the pond. So we really probably should roll, roll back the socks for sure. Um, the actual footage was not dissimilar to YouTube. Uh, you know, you saw a lot of shots, things were moving. The announcing team, the booth team is, is good. The on the course team, I think still needs some reps. There's a lot of chatter going on. That's, I don't know. I, it wasn't the greatest, but again, I still, I mean, we, we're going to have to come to a point where like you don't get a pass for you're just starting out, right? Like at some point you've done enough of these that you should have it figured out. Um, but the, I mean, the course to Billy, as Billy told us last week, it was definitely playing firm and hard. Uh, um, the guys were guys who were playing well, made a go of it. And guys who weren't playing well, they were having a time with it. So um, it was, it was definitely basically what we saw. Now the ads in, being that, as I understand the CW, they're all local affiliates. So we never figured out how big the ocean was. Um, but there were a lot of local personal injury attorney ads. So if I happen to get in a car accident, I, I know who to call now. That's pretty much drilled into my head. Also, there is a very large furniture warehouse having mattress sale. So I've got that going for me too. If I decide to do some bedroom makeover. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it's a golf broadcast. Yeah, I was going to comment on a few things you said, George, and then I'll I'll pass it over to Billy. I, I agree with you on the shorts to a degree. I think, you know, they're trying to be a little informal. They're trying to be a little more youthful and modern, but there's a few looks that just look a little off. Like we we joked that, you know, Ian Poulter with the high socks looks a little ridiculous. You could argue he's been wearing some pretty ridiculous fits on the PGA Tour for, for many decades now. Um a couple guys just very kind of casual. Peter Uline just like untucked shirt, shorts. Yeah, and, and I did and, not like that look at all. The, and, the untucked shirt actually kind of like it works uh, for me if you're like in the Hawaiian Islands or you're on a course. Like I guess they're at a resort course. They're they're on the ocean. They feel like they can be a little more laid back. But to your point on just the golf course in general, and actually Charles House said this in his post round interview 
they were sort of like, it seemed like you had things wrapped up. And he was like, yeah, there's doubles lurking everywhere out there. And as you watch them play that golf course, Billy, I was going to turn it to you because there were just so many tee shots that looked very uncomfortable with any crosswind or any wind at all, I should say. And it just looked like there was nowhere to hide. Like you just had to put the ball in play on that golf course or double is lurking everywhere. Well, that's really exactly right. I mean, you know, we were we were talking before we went live on the pod here about, you know, some of the shots that were hit on the 12th hole. And, and I mean, that that's a darn hard tee shot. And you inject any sort of crosswind into that and obviously it becomes much harder, but that's hitting it down a runway with nowhere to hide. 13, same thing, hitting it down a, a runway with, you know, eight yards of, of rough on either side of the fairway, plus the cart path on one side of the fairway that, you know, bounds the ball into the mangroves quick. And then you normally all always have a, a crosswind on the par three 15th and then 16 is the hardest hole in the golf course, maybe. And, and so, yeah, I mean, Charles is exactly right. There's a double everywhere. I mean, heck somebody made a 10 on, on number 18 in the first round. I mean, like, which again, sounds really, really bad, but, but I mean, like you hit it three yards right of your target and it gets going a little in the left, right wind and, and, it ends in the mangroves and and you, you know, under a root or whatever, and you're hacking it around from there. So it, he, that, 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 that's really a good point that there's, there is a double lurking everywhere with basically the swing of the tee shot. I mean, I mean, it's hard to make a double once you get it in play off the tee, but, but it is some narrow corridors where there's, you know, nowhere to find it if you don't hit the corridor. Yeah. And there were some made for some funny moments on, I think it was the 12th and 13th holes. Actually, I, I want to talk about 12 because you could write a whole book on, on what happened there, but there were some moments where guys are near the cart path and then the penalty area line is just off the cart path. So it introduces this very interesting dynamic. You saw Cam Smith actually hit one off the cart path. So he's like, I'm not dropping on the mangrove side. So I'm going to go ahead and just, you know, replace this club and by hitting it off the cart path. And then there was another opportunity where this was Taylor Gooch was actually like sort of in play, but in the roots. So he's like, I can't, you know, take it out of the roots that my ball is sort of embedded in, if you will. And so he had to take a drop onto the cart path and then take another drop, you know, to put it back in into play from the cart path. So it made for some very, very tight tee shots. I, I noted the 12th hole just because I think for those of you that didn't watch this broadcast, I almost hope they have like a YouTube recap of just Peter Uline's travails off the 12th hole. He ended up losing by four shots and he makes triple on 12. And let me just describe how he did this as someone that actually hit three provisional balls off of a tee box during a tournament. One time he hit three, he hit two provisional balls. So he hits one dead left, hits another one dead left, like not even a hundred yards off the tee box. Then he obviously bails out way right, which is what you do when you hit two balls dead left. So he's got three balls that he's looking for. And the first two are, are left. So he gets about a hundred yards off the box. And here's where I think it, it actually takes a uh, notable, I think almost like commendable turn for the unexpected he, he finds his ball. He says, I, I think these are, you know, a bunch of uh, tree roots and things like that are staged for removal and ask for a ruling. But he's in the middle of the freaking jungle. And it's like, dude, you are not getting a ruling. And this is where before we hit record, I was like, you know, there have been many cases where, you know, Xander Shoffley caught some flack by asking for a second opinion. Like you could have imagined that a favorable ruling would have said like, yeah, you know, that's a lot of stuff that looks like it was cut in half. Like, yeah, why don't you just drop it over here? But, but to make matters even more complicated, everyone, including all the broadcast team and all the guys that are, you know, on the course are like, dude, you're taking an unplayable eye in the mangroves. Like, what are you doing? Go back to the tee and hit your third shot because you're going to be in a much better spot. And after the round, he actually commented like, that's a terrible hole for me, the 12th hole. Like you said, Billy, it's super uncomfortable. 
for a guy like Peter Yulon that hits a cut. And he was just like, the wind's off the left. I I didn't want to even hit. I'd already hit that tee shot three times. I didn't need to hit it a fourth time. So it just made for like a very, very funny uh, hole for many reasons. And again, he makes triple, loses by four. Well, I think it's a good point that there was kind of a, let's just call it a real ruling that that, that took place, right? If 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 it were exhibition golf, as as many claim, then you could just kind of let them drop it wherever and and continue on. I think there was a there was a Cam Smith weird one there too earlier in the week on on the twelfth hole where he hit it up in a tree or something and was trying to drop it off the cliff of the rocks uh, off the fairway there or whatever. But so I mean, I mean, in 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 one way, not that I would expect anything different from from Slugger Slugger White, who's the former head chief of rules at, at the PGA Tour, now the you know head of rules at, at Live, that he would you know administer the rules properly and fairly in any given situation. But to me, it just says, hey, they're 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 playing real golf, right? You can like it or you cannot like it, but it but it's not an exhibition. Do we know if they have like tour trucks and stuff out there? Cause like you're talking about Cam Smith hitting off a path. Like I'll just replace that club. Like, do we know if they have reps there who can replace gear? If, if they do that, it, they, they don't have trucks um, and they certainly don't have trucks in, in Mexico. Right. Even, even when the tour goes to Mexico, the, the trucks aren't um, there. And, and then furthermore, the trucks are never there past Wednesday on the PGA tour. So, you know, if you do something Friday, the best you're going to do is an overnight club that might get there midway through Saturday, you know, kind of kind of thing or, or whatever. Um, you know, when he says, I'm just going to replace it, it generally means he's going to get a new one sent to his house tomorrow. And and it's going to be, you know, Monday or Tuesday, he'll, you know, have a new seven iron or, or, or whatever it was that he chipped off the cart path. But um, they they have some equipment support, but they don't have trucks, is my understanding, in the early parts of the week. But to go back to the uh, the winners of the event, the the crushers, captained by Bryson DeChambeau, but joined by Paul Casey, Anurban Lahiri, and then the tournament winner, Charles Howell III, take home in, in sort of, I would say, like dull fashion, like when they had made the turn, or, or we joked like the final nine, since since they're all not making the turn, they're all on, on the golf course. When, when they got to the final nine holes, it seemed like a foregone conclusion, even with the doubles out there. Uh, lurking that Charles Howell III was probably going to pull away with this one after the the triple on twelve by Uline, and that the Crushers were going to pull away with this one. You know, can, there was a I little take a moment. To yeah, point out that like, all right, I get Bryson on the Crushers when Bryson showed up and he was hulked out. Those other three do not <laughs> they strike. They don't me crush as it. They don't crush it. No, they don't crush it. I'm yeah. like, mm, this team doesn't quite meet the eye test. But they crushed the competition this week in Mayakoba. They sure. Yeah, I mean, and, they, and, what, and Bryce and they won by ten plus, right? I mean, like that was it wasn't it wasn't even close. Like, it was not close. Yeah, there there was close for second and third, but but uh, you know within first place it was it was I think ten or twelve shots at least. And and Bryson, as Bryson is is likely to do or want to do, made a ton of puns in his post run interview about crushing the competition and and everything else. I, I will say, you know, just George, you you talked about it, some things. I wanted to hit, you know, again, I'll call balls and strikes because we talk about that all the time. We'll call balls and strikes. There were some things that I that I liked about the CW. I actually have YouTube TV, was not able to get it on my big television. So I had to watch it on the, the CW app, which is either on my phone or my television. But it's not the same experience as flipping back and forth if you're in YouTube TV from one channel to the other. So I just watched it on my phone and I had the Honda up on my, on my TV, on, on YouTube TV. So that was a bit annoying. And again... There was something familiar about the YouTube TV experience last year or YouTube app experience, I should say, last year where 
you know, you pause, you rewind, they have the picture in picture functionality, or you can like swipe it up to the top of your screen if you have an iPhone, or I think Android has a similar functionality. And so there were a few things to me that were just a little meh about the CW experience in that regard, just as a, as a viewer and thinking about the product experience. I did think that it was notably very easy to swipe out of the app and just be done with it, do something else for five or 10 minutes. And then when I opened it back up, it quickly starts. Any of you that have tried to watch a PGA Tour event on your phone know that there's about a minute and a half of commercials before you can actually get to watch the broadcast each and every time you get in and out of the PGA Tour uh, mobile viewing experience. Um, but a few other things that I thought were just a little bit interesting were, and we'd actually talked with Jerry Foltz a few weeks ago about some of these new things that were coming. They called it the snow cone graphic at one point. This was this like landing zone graphic that said, Basically, if you hit it left, not so good. If you hit it down the middle, great. If you hit it right, not so good. I thought that was a little lackluster. It could be interesting in an overhead view, but the way it sort of looked in a in a flat sort of behind the tee box view didn't look very compelling to me. I um, saw that and I actually have to give him credit because it did show on the one hole that I saw it on, like obviously in the middle, the best. But then, you know, if you, if you were on the left, there was like a 33% chance for par or better but if you missed it to the right you still had you know a 58 percent chance par or better so that one actually clearly showed you know hey the miss if you're gonna miss it is is off to the right versus if you're in the left like well good luck i'm with you but i i was wondering when they said that is that aggregating for the whole week because you have different pin positions obviously and so like what does that tell me or are they saying like up until that day because that could be interesting if you'd say, hey, know. you know, 16 groups have come through here or actually 15 groups have come through here. And this was the scoring average thus far to this pin, you know, that sort of thing. But it just seemed a little bit uh, undone. It's not to say they can't improve upon that, but it looks a little undone right now. Probably using the PGA Tour data. Totally, maybe. And it's one of those things where when we had talked about this, there were a few kind of snide comments on Twitter you know, we noted in our quick hit preview of this, Billy, you hit it, hit the nail on the head. Like this course is going to play a lot different in February than it ever did uh, in November. And so we went back, you know, George, you had shared, I think it was 2000, was it 2012 or 13? The last time this 12, was actually was 12, played 12 in November. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and it was, you know, I think it was 83 players failed to break par out of, out of a, you know, fullish field event down there. So, I mean, it, it does play a lot more firm and fast. The winds are probably perhaps up a little higher in February than they are in November. Yeah, you know, and I was thinking about this because, I mean, I will tip the cap, cap to myself for having, you know, called this early um, because the media is just going to do what the media does. But, um, you know, Brian, you broke last week, you broke down the the live into thirds and said 16, 16, 16. And, and, and then we also said that, you know, the tour is not that dissimilar. It's 50, 50, 50 with 156 man field. And, and it kind of just struck me that, that that's really what happens week in and week out on any tour. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Zero Restriction. For more than 30 years, Zero Restriction has been the leader in outdoor technical golf apparel. Check them out at zerorestriction.com and use code LIVINGITUP30 for 30% off your purchase. Thanks to our friends at zerorestriction.com for their support of the Living It Up podcast. Is that you have, you know, 50 guys who who play pretty well. You know, you have another, if, if we're on the PGA Tour, you have, you have 50 
um, who, who don't play great and kind of fight to make the cut or just make the cut or don't just miss the cut or whatever. And then you have 50 who shoot a million and we just don't see those 50 that shoot a million on the PGA tour. Like they're, they're gone. They're not in the coverage. Like they've, you know, right. shot five over in the first round. And so you don't even see them for the second round. They finish, you know, 120th and they go home after two rounds. Well, here we just see them all. Right. I mean, like they are all in the leaderboard. There's only 48 players. So again, like this, this comparison to where it's like not as competitive or it's not as good or whatever. Well, it's just, it's really the same thing. It's just on a smaller scale. Like you have 16 guys who played pretty darn well. You have 16 guys who played pretty mediocre and you have 16 guys who played awful. I, I mean, but you just have them all playing all the days and counting and, and, and being a part of the mix for, for three days. So it, it just shows up more. I wonder if that's part of the the calculation of only showing or of only counting three scores. Because if you're counting four, you have to show four players, right? You got to. And so the the fourth leg who's scuffling, you know, the tour gets to hide that guy because he didn't make the weekend to start with. That's and right. if if he did make the weekend man, he teed off so early that he's packing his trunk by the time the leaders tee off on Sunday. Oh yeah. Well um, before even. Yeah, for sure. And so, you know, they can kind of not show that side of professional golf. Yeah. Whereas in live, like, well, they're all out there. They're all doing it. So we're, we don't have to show them, but if we had the fourth score, like we would have to go to, I don't forget who was it like plus 12 for the week being like, well, he's hoping to brush this one in for for bogey. <laughs> and yeah, but I mean, so again, like I, I mean, I'll just clarify my position on the four scores. I think it only is for the final round, right? It's not, it's not for all rounds. It's just just for the final round. Um, I think some of that got lost on Twitter a couple of weeks ago. But 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 that's that's my position is count two in the first round, count three in the second round, count all four in the in the final round, the third round. And then really, though, it only matters for three positions. That fourth guy only matters for first, second, third, and and fourth, who's trying to get to kind of that podium position, as they call it. So, I mean, you're still hiding the guy who's 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 fourth of the 12th team. You know, he's obviously, you know, shooting a million. And so I don't know. I, I, I just I I'm going to stand by my position. All four count in the fourth round. And and I think that's just, you know. I think that's good. Um, I think that's great. I, like we, I mean, we play I mean, I a game. Get it. I get it. You can hide it, but yeah, but yeah, we, we play a game at our club oftentimes, like, you know, first six holes, one score counts, second six holes, two scores, next five holes, three scores and the last hole, all four count. So I, I think honestly, like if we're, if we're trying to make golf more interesting and fun, you know, like day one, it's two scores, day three, it's three scores and day four, it's all four scores. And I mean, for these guys, like, they might complain and gripe about looking bad, but like at the end of the day, that's what the money's for. That's right. That's right. I mean, if you're going to play for, you know, $750,000 a man, you know, and you're basically just riding the coattails of Charles Howell who ran away with the golf tournament. I mean, like what, what good is that? You know, I mean, like, you know, we're going to kind of have to aggregate this over the course of a year. Like how is it possible to win the golf tournament without, winning the individual tournament right as a team and, and and so much as it's not close on the individual side it's really not going to be close on the team side and and so i i think that having that fourth score would would be a little bit of an equalizer as far as just not having the 
individual winner automatically carry his team to victory. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think we're all in unison that in the final round, whether that's, you know, the, the third round of everyday play or, or modify it for the team competition, but certainly for the for the every sort of every event that that final round, all four scores should count, I think. Uh, and I think we're all in agreement there because notably they were able to show that graphic. And I think it was at one point Dustin Johnson's four over. And even though the four aces finished second, he was the guy that wasn't counting today for his team. And so his kind of relatively poor play in the final round didn't didn't matter because the other three guys played well enough. I, I did think it was kind of interesting because one of the only moves uh, in the offseason, uh, even if it was a little bit out of the captain's control, was a trade for Taylor Gooch uh, to Peter Uline. And they happened to be the two guys that were at the top. I, I will say for anyone that maybe wasn't tuning in or maybe wasn't as attuned to the leaderboard, it would have felt a little lackluster for me. Like, there wasn't drama down the stretch. And I actually think that's a good segue into Honda because Honda for also, you know, perhaps not having a good feel to start with and certainly not like a star studded leaderboard down the stretch did make for some compelling, uh, you know, last few holes, uh, some lead changes down the back nine um, and certainly went to a playoff with some drama. Um, so I thought we'd, we'd jump to that uh, just a bit. So as we make that jump, I do want to point out while people want to knock the shotgun start and everything else, if nothing else, they finish the rounds on the day. Honda could not finish the first round. It could not finish the second round on the same day. And that's now, I think, two or three weeks in a row where they've been finishing rounds on the third day of the tournament. So say what you want about shotgun start, but they finish. Yeah, I mean, I'll just, I'll counterpoint that with the fact that that's what happens at these events every year. I mean, it's, it's, you know, trying to give play playing opportunities, you know, in, in fields before daylight savings time. And, you know, there's not enough daylight really for 144 players to go around and, but point, point taken, but it's not, it's not new is all I'm saying. Oh, but if the PGA adopts the new MLB shot clock, I think we're going to get there. Or they just might reduce the fields. We'll get there later. Spoiler alert. <laughs> so so let's talk about the Honda. You know, for those of you that didn't uh, tune in, uh, Chris Kirk wins in a playoff over, I think, relative unknown Eric Cole. Not, not someone that I think most even PGA Tour fans kind of knew his name. There was a quick hit that I had seen, and I kind of knew his name from this just a few weeks ago. He had proposed to his, his girlfriend, now fiance, on the 18th tee box at Pebble Beach. And so that made, made for some great kind of you know, videos and social media clips. So I had heard his name there. Um, one, I was impressed with his play down the stretch. He had some very, very good kind of birdies, some actually some great like bogey saves or par saves down the stretch. So, you know, showed a lot of uh, gumption down down the stretch. He hit in the playoff what I thought was a phenomenal bunker shot to about eight or 10 feet and then sadly lipped that out to extend the playoff. Uh, but Chris Kirk's, you know, battle with alcoholism has been now sober for a number of years you know, has been very public. And one, I just want to say, you know, kudos to him for having kind of reclaimed his life, if you want to call it that. Um, and he's always been a guy that had a very, you know, kind of long languid swing, great tempo, kind of easy to root for. And it's good to see that he's, he's kind of overcome the, the those demons, uh, if you want to call them that to, to come away with a victory here. Um, and he was very heartfelt, even in his post round, you know, interview talking about people that have stuck by him and his, his family and friends. So, Again, tip of the hat to to Chris Kirk. I think, you know, part of me is rooting for Eric Cole, relative, relative, you know, kind of nobody out there to a degree. 
Uh, but it's great to see Chris Kirk uh, win that one in a playoff. Yeah, I've known both these guys for a long time, and I've known Chris since back in our amateur days and and staying in the same houses at some amateur tournaments. He, he's a couple years younger than me, but, um, you know, always been a, a great, great player, great putter, like unbelievable putter, and and just, you know, tempo's unreal, just kind of hits a sling draw. It's, it's beautiful every nearly every time i guess except for on 18 in regulation where it kind of just hung a hung a step out there and as brian uh noted uh pre-pod uh serendipitously uh almost hit the honda floating in the in the pond to the to the right of the 18th green but also known eric cole for a long time um back to kind of mini tour days in orlando when when i was just getting out of the navy we played some some winter stuff together and in those, you know, 2010, 2011, he, he, if, if I have it right, he actually didn't even play for a couple of years. I mean, he was trying to make it in that time and kind of didn't make it. And then he was, he was good buddies with Sam Saunders, uh, Mr. Palmer's grandson and Bay Hill coming up this week, uh, this next week here on the PGA tour. But he, he went and coached Sam for a little while. He was like Sam's swing coach for a little bit. I don't know how much he was playing in, in the middle of that, but he was traveling more with Sam as a, as an instructor kind of thing. And then kind of, kind of got back into playing and, and got his card off the corn ferry. He's a rookie this year. And so, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's a great story in golf of, of, of grinding it out and grinding it out. I mean, like I just talked about, this was 12 years ago, we were playing mini tour, you know, winter mini tour, two day events, you know, for, first prize of a thousand dollars or something, you, you know, in, in Orlando, Florida. And, um, here you are, you know, 12 years later, he's, you know, in a playoff and, and just, you know, this close on 18, I'm sure he's going to look back at that, uh, the, the pitch and regulation from left of the green on 18 for, for a long time and wish he would have hit that a little crisper. So There's... Billy, we, we know what, if you went on tour two year exemption, like, you know, trip to the masters. We know all those things. What does second get you as far as exemptions, more events? Like what is, what does this do to Eric Cole's life getting a second place? I cannot adequately describe to you the difference between him winning that playoff and losing that playoff. There are a lot of great golfers who you've never heard of who lost in playoffs, um, you know, two two great players and and should they have won those playoffs, you would probably have heard their name and 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 know their name. So um the short answer is it gets him nothing. Right. It gets him 300 FedEx Cup points, which which isn't nothing. It gets him, you know, seven hundred thousand dollars or something like that, which isn't nothing. But um, you know, 300 FedEx Cup points is is not enough to keep your tour card. 300 FedEx Cup points is not enough to have an exemption into anything except a, a top 10 exemption into next week and in, in Puerto Rico, which he was already in off of his, off of his status uh, from the corn Ferry tour onto the PGA tour for, for this season. So, you, you know, I, I mean, this is just one of those things that when I think about this, like makes me just so grateful that I won, like you, you can't adequately describe how much that like changes your golfing life versus, you know, finishing second, once or, or or twice or or whatever i mean it's it's a great week it's a great paycheck you know i mean it, it should mean he keeps his card for next year if he you know has anything worth a pulse for the rest of the year on, on the pga tour but it 
doesn't secure it by any by any stretch of the imagination and um you know you talk about the masters you talk about the pga championship you, you talk about you know two-year exemption kapalua you know et cetera et cetera et cetera it, it's it's light years of difference between winning that playoff and losing the playoff for eric cole so being the top 10 he gets an exemption for the next week right that's right and so since he was already exempt into puerto rico the tour doesn't say all right well you're already in that one so we'll we'll jump it to the next one you would not have otherwise gotten into you are correct it does not it does not jump forward it also That's doesn't cold. jump him into bay hill which he might actually be in bay hill i'd have to look he might have got a sponsor exemption he's a you know been been around bay hill for a long time he might actually be in bay hill i i i feel badly i don't know the answer to that but they did make um, a point because there was one other you know kind of big underdog story if you will and that was ryan gerard finishing fourth so he gets in and they made a point of saying he's going to get into puerto rico which is opposite field event of bay hill so at least for him ryan gerard that top 10 exemption will carry him to to puerto rico yeah which again also kind of stinks for ryan because now it's a you know it's, it's less fedex cup points it's less money i mean not that ryan's eligible to win FedEx Cup points. They're kind of pretend FedEx Cup points in his case of trying to make enough to kind of gain status mid-year and and whatever. So if, if for instance, um, Puerto Rico didn't exist, then Ryan would get into Valspar in Tampa, you know, three weeks from now, because you kind of, you get into the next open PGA Tour event. And, and the way to think about open versus invitational is open events have a Monday qualifier. So, you know, Bay Hill players, no Monday qualifier. Puerto Rico has a Monday qualifier. Tampa has a Monday qualifier. You know, Harbortown does not. Colonial does not. Travelers does, right? So even in this year, even though those are designated and not undesignated kind of kind of events, uh, the ones with Monday qualifiers, you can top 10 into. The ones without, you cannot. That is I, I've never known all the nuances of what you do and don't get. Uh, and yeah. that's just, I'm sorry. Like that's like janky that he would be in a playoff. So effectively he tied for first over 72 holes. I know you've got Indeed, a win he did. to win. He, tied, he, he shot the lowest score of the week. And that he couldn't, that that wouldn't get him into, I guess, since there's an opposite field event, like, well, Hey, you know what? You were already in that one, and we're going to, like, get you in the good one. Obviously, if he wins Puerto Rico, he still gets two years exemption. So, like, that's still a good one. Um, but that just is wild that it's it's that cutthroat. And, I mean, it is what it is, and it's been that way forever. And that's, that's part of, you know, I think that is some of the allure of the tour that, like, hey, man, it is eat what you kill, and it is what it is. So – but that's crazy. I did not know that it was that like just harsh. No. And, and Billy, I think to your point around, like there is such a stark difference between losing in a playoff and, and ultimately winning it. I think we should actually do a, a dive on sort of near misses and guys that like were almost, I don't want to call them like the next best thing, but like they were such phenomenal players, but never got over the finish line. I, I'll give one that only for the folks at Army Navy Country Club may, may empathize with because George and I grew up playing with this guy, Steve Marino, loses in two sure. playoffs. He's lost twice in playoffs. And he's had numerous top tens. Like for for a, a I would say like a two, two, maybe even three-year stretch, he was one of those guys, you were like, for sure he's going to win a PGA Tour event. Like just threatening all the time. And now he has not won. He will, he will not play out of that past champion category. And where this gets really funny is, 
for these, I don't know what you want to call them now, non-designated events, there's going to be a lot of past champion like category folks getting in and playing in those events. And if you were one of those guys, a la Steve Marino, and you were always just a near miss, you don't get to ever play out of that category. I was, yeah, I think I was, exactly se- right. I think I was 17. He might've been like 14 in like our junior club championship. Demolished me like seven and six. And it probably should have been like eight and seven, but I, you were a I rower, took- George. I I know, but still, like when you're 17, and he was he's not the biggest dude. When like a like it literally was the moment where I was like, well, I'm officially a rower now. (laughs) There was no question left. Yeah, I mean, Brian, you're exactly right. I mean, Steve's a great example. You know, growing up in Northern Virginia, like you, you know, knew knew the name. I didn't play directly against him, but I think it was like 2008, 2009. Like, I mean, you know, and he just barely missed the tour championship twice, and he you know, lost in these playoffs. I mean, he's got more career money than I do, but, but I have a win and he doesn't. And, and that's, that's the difference between I'm a tour member today and he's not. And um, it's a, it, it is a, a monumental difference. Uh, fact checking myself, Eric Cole does have a sponsor exemption into Bay Hill. So he's not going to Puerto Rico. Well, that's a good story. I will uh, look for him on leaderboards at, at Bay Hill next week, uh, but it is super interesting. And they even noted that, um, Chris Kirk's last win was a playoff victory over Patrick Rogers. I look at Patrick Rogers as one of those guys. Like I'm like immensely talented, broke all Tiger Woods records at Stanford. One of those can't miss talents coming out of college. And while he's had some solid finishes, some good years, he's one of those guys that like, yep, we we could look back on his career and be like, what if, or, or look at him and say, Oh, remember that time he lost in this playoff. For sure. I mean, there's, there's, there's no question about it. And you, you know, you, you mentioned the the difference in in kind of the two, 2024 schedule, which we still don't know a, a lot about. There's a board meeting this this week um, that I think is going to finalize some of that from from what I understand. And um, I don't know how quickly that will be released to the to the media and, and golf world. But um, these, you know, undesignated, non-designated tier two is what we should call them or some more eloquent thing, there's going to be a lot of opportunity for, for past champions to get in there. And, and having that win is going to be that much more important kind of going forward. Yeah. You talked about the 24 schedule. They had Jack Nicholas in the booth as they always do here at the Honda or whatever they're going to call it going forward. And he talked about, you know, the tour is changing a lot. 24 is going to be very different. He made it sound without saying I've been completely assured that he was like, we're not going to be sandwiched anymore in between four designated events. Basically, like mine is the one that for sure everyone is going to skip going forward. And so while I I don't know if he's gotten an assurance that they're going to get a better spot on the schedule, it sounds as if they will have an event in South Florida, you know, that will benefit his charity, of course. But also it sounds like it'll get a more favorable uh, angle there. Uh, and again, it, it's very much a we'll see situation as to what 24 and beyond is going to look like. Yeah, my understanding is there's going to be a, a better cadence going forward in 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 24. Is it's going you know kind of going to be uh, designated, non-designated, non-designated, designated, non-designated, non-designated, designated. There's going to be some better cadence and and rhythm in between. I mean, you know, this year. As, as a lot of people have said, like the only thing 23 is doing is getting us to 24. And, and so, you know, Honda is certainly the unintended consequence of, of getting to 24 and having these elevated events and 
you know, having to make that up on the fly with tournament dates already set and whatnot, but, but the 24 cadence is going to have um, a little bit more of a flow to it, as I understand it. So first of all, I mean, Honda has been stuck in no man's land for a while now. And so I have two questions. One is, has there been any discussion or have you heard anything about who's going to replace Honda to, to host this? And the second thing is, with that cadence, doesn't that actually put the non-designated events in just like an impossible hole because everybody knows like, yeah, this is the apple picking weekend. Like, yeah, honey, let's go antiquing because whatever. So I have no idea who's going to replace Honda. I, I mean, I, 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 from, from a three, four years ago standpoint, there was no shortage of people in the wings to take up spots as they as they were coming. I don't know, you know, what that, um, you know, sales funnel looks like today, but I mean, I think that they feel confident they'll find somebody to, to take over for Honda and continue that, you know, tournament in, in South Florida. And I imagine Jack will have no shortage of input into that and, and probably will be leaned on to secure that sponsor as well. It's, this is, this is the storytelling problem of the PGA tour that I was railing against them in 15, 16, 17, 18 to, to do a better job of creating stars from the second tier player. And, and this is a, a, a consequence that they made themselves when they put all their eggs in Tiger Woods and, and didn't adapt from that model quickly enough when Tiger Woods was no longer winning eight times a year. And it, it, they have to do a better job of of telling you more about Eric Cole, right? Of, of of not having Eric Cole's name when he pops up be the first time you've ever heard of him, right? They have to do a better job of telling the the Chris Kirk story. Great champion, you know, this is his third or fourth win on tour. You, you know, been around for a long time. All this stuff, you know, they they have to do a better job of of making. This the I'll I'll call it second tier player a household name. They only really make, I mean, maybe five players they're making a household name now. Maybe it's expanded to 10, but they've got to get that number past 10 and and really tell tell the stories of 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 the rest of the tour. Be, because you're exactly right. It's gonna be apple picking weekends if if not. Isn't isn't that I mean, and like I I'm like stunned. I'm going to defend a tour here for a second here, but like, isn't like a logistical nightmare because you, I mean, one of the amazing things of the tour is guys will catch lightning in a bottle. They will rise, they will win. And it's like, who is this guy? And I'm sure like the, the research and stats guys are flipping through like who, Oh my God, who is this guy? And to like, you never know who's going to play well, who's going to get cold, who's going to get injured. I mean, I think within the tour, what do we get? Like 200 guys that can tee it up on any given weekend. It's about right. So it's, it's impossible to know. So I, I'm not arguing. I think you're right. Like we have to know how to tell these stories. Harry Higgs has talked about how do we develop this whole storytelling. And there's so many great stories, but man, like you would have to have a full research department ready at the wings so that when some guy pops up after Friday to make the cut and he's, he's, he's peaking and he's there that they can actually be like, Let's talk about this guy because, man, what a great story. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of people in Ponte Vedra. Somebody ought to be doing that. And and that's, 
And that's a fair point. You don't know who's going to play well and when they're going to play well. And, you know, Eric Cole might not be the example really that, that should have been talked about before because he hasn't done anything um, other than, you know, graduate from the corn Ferry tour and get a PGA tour card, which is no small accomplishment in the world of golf. But I think the greater point is that the way the tour has told the story and the way the broadcast partners have told the story for so long, they have told you guys as, as fans of golf, that there are only five or seven good golfers in the world. That's, that's been the story for the last 10 years. You know, let's just call, I mean, and, and before that it was two or three, it was Tiger and it was Phil and it was Ernie and it was VJ. And I can't come up with anybody else in that time frame that the, that the, the, the golf machine, the professional golf machine was telling the fan is any good at golf. And so it's this, it's this thing I think they've created and, and a narrative that they've created is, is right now, I mean, let's rattle off a couple of names that, that, that are the only ones worth watching in golf, right? It's, uh, it's, it's Rory, Rom, Scheffler, Homa, Cantley, Xander, Morikawa, I'm at a loss after that, right? Those are the ones that the media, that the world of golf has told you, those are the only good golfers on the planet. And, and so it's this like kind of self-fulfilling prophecy is they've told the golf fan that those are the only ones worth watching. And now they're going to create, you know, this designated undesignated events where none of those guys are in the undesignated space. So why would I watch? There's no one worth watching. That's what you've told me for the last 10 years is none of these guys, other guys are worth watching. I would say, you know, thoughts and prayers to Justin Thomas and, and Jordan Spieth. You left them off your list, Billy. They're okay golfers. But um, in general, hey, here's right. the I, I, I apologize for, for Justin. <laughs> are, are those guys who hasn't won in a couple of years? Yeah, I th- I've have heard they, that they're they friends. Have they played together much? Are they friends? Wait, didn't you guys watch the Netflix series? Like, I didn't even watch the Netflix series. Well, no, no so that. here's what I was going to say. Like, the Netflix series did nothing to, 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 like, you know, go against your point. It was all the top players. And, and I could argue, like, the top players on the live side and, and on the PGA Tour side. And what's interesting to, like, juxtapose that against, like, the Eric Coles and, and Ryan Gerrard's of the world is we've been clamoring that, you know, the, the, the man behind the Monday Q info Twitter handle, Ryan French, now with the Fire Pit Collective, He's been doing, I think, like yeoman's work for the PJ Tour. And instead of embracing it, they try to like throw DMCA takedowns at him every time he tries to use like a clip to, to generate buzz. The most insane thing ever. Like you are getting free publicity for your events. And he's a positive guy about these situations. And you throw a blanket on top of him. Like th- this is the most short-sighted, and this is where like Pana Vidra just doesn't know what they're doing. If they can't figure out social media and realize that like, that's not a foe. I know he's not officially like a sanctioned partner or whatever. They should have just hired him and paid him $250,000 a year to keep doing what he was doing and give him a travel budget. Goodness gracious. hundred percent. Like his Monday Q stuff. I, I mean, I stumbled into it and I was like, this is actually like almost, I mean, it's every Monday is a final round. And it's like a five-man playoff, pure chaos. And they were like, "We'll take care of it." No, and, and I, I and I saw it, I saw Ryan Gerard's putt. I saw Ryan Gerard's putt just on the 18th hole. That was the only storytelling done at all. Meanwhile, on Twitter, you know, 
Ryan's again going through and and sort of taking screen clips of the you know shot link data and stuff like that and following his round for for his fans. And this is where I go back to: there's got to be different vehicles to take the media that they're producing and package it together, put it together, come up with storytelling vehicles. Like for God's sakes, there needs to be like a cut focus every Friday of an event, right? It, it's there were a couple guys this time that like had to come back the next day and make pars to, to make the cut. Like that's, that's a story worth telling. I think there was a Monday qualifier who chipped in on nine. Yeah. To make the cut. Hole to make the cut on the number. I mean, like these are, I mean, that's like life changing. I mean, call it $15,000 for finishing last or whatever, but for a Monday qualifier, that's life changing. Fully infrastructured cameras that are, that are in are place. You, are you knocking the, the shotgun start? Are you knocking a shotgun start that things would end at 11? No, 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 I'm not. I'm not because you know that something's going to end at 11. If you if you're running a shotgun start, you're actually well aware that that, that something good might happen on the 11th green. But hey, I thought we'd jump into a, a section that we call our great golf debate. I, I I actually want to talk about one that for the last I would say decade plus has been the great golf debate, and that is the ball goes too dang far. So the debate is. How do we roll back the ball? How do we actually mm. rein in the distance that we see today? Because I, I'll, I'll preface this by saying, you know, Billy, you and I were on spring break and our coach tossed us a sleeve of balls and said, hey, this is the Pro V1 392 that you've been reading about and seeing that all the pros are switching to. And I'll never forget just throwing down what used to be like, I think it was like an eight iron at 150. And I was at 150 and I threw the ball down and then it rocketed over the green. Like at that moment, the game changed. And that was 20 plus years ago. And we've yet to rein in the ball speed or the club head sort of, you know, coefficients of this and and rebound effects of this. Like, it seems like it's only getting more highly tuned ball plus club head combinations for more and more and more speed. How do we actually put this genie back in the bottle? I would argue, does the ball go too far or does it go too straight? Because there, when we used to play the wound old bolatas, like if you nutted it, man, it was good. If you missed it just a little bit, oh boy, you had to walk ahead of you. And that's when we were all taught the swing is 80%. You don't, we never go full, full tilt. We never go get it. And now that it's like speed, 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 because there's no penalty for speed because the ball's just not going to spin off the planet. And I think I you're digging at two things there, George. You're digging at the ball's not as spinny, but you're also saying an off-center hit off of the cl- modern club faces, modern drivers and three woods are not penalized in quite the ways that they were back in the day. Well, for sure. And I nobody wants to go back to persimmons or whatever size those heads were, which are insanely small. Like I have in my parents' garage a collection of old clubs that date way, way, way. Like we've got hickory sticks. We've got the whole nine yards in there. And you stare at those things and like, it is wild to think that people got around a golf course with those clubs. But we're not going backwards on clubs. The manufacturers have invested way too much money in clubs. That's if you not change the ball, you are. Well, here's the thing. I still believe, and let's go back to what was it? The 92 PGA Championship. And I may have my date wrong to add to the number of millions of other things I get wrong here every week. But John Daly shows up. He's swinging. 91. 91. Oh, I was close enough. Pretty good. Yeah. Um, so 
He's swinging out of his shoes, you know, coming way over the top, almost as far as Brian's backswing. And then he is absolutely murdering the ball 325, 330 yards. And that's the old Titleist Bellata Tour 100. So the ball was always going far. He could hit it straight. Now, when he couldn't hit it straight, he was nowhere to be found. So my suggestion, if we're going to talk about rolling the ball back, just go back to a wound ball, your thing cover. No one wants the smiley faces anymore. That was the worst. Um, and like, let's go see who can actually square it up and hit it straight. So you're proposing then, George, let's go back to 1999 sort of ball technology as as like a starting point. You'd almost like cap us there at like, this is this is the limit to what a, a golf ball can do in terms of like smash factor to, to spin rate sort of things. Oh, no, no, Brian. I'm just getting started. <laughs> I'm saying let's start by bringing back the wound ball, because if you miss that bad boy, it is going somewhere. Now, for me, it is going wide right, like way right. Maybe for I mean, we're talking maybe two holes, right? It, it could go way right. But I have more ideas. I'll let you guys chime in before I get to my follow-up on how to really make this truly exciting. I agree in the ball needs to curve more offline, but I will, I will preface the rest of my comments with this. While the golf ball was a big change in the game, it was not the primary driver to the game that you see played today. Trackman changed the game more than the golf ball. Everything is optimized. Everything is known to the exact number of RPMs. I mean, this stuff used to be done by eye. Brian and I have talked about this, I think on the pod of like, you know, catching each other's golf balls and shooting a laser back to figure out how far our seven iron was going versus our six iron and getting distances and averaging out 10 shots and whatever, whatever. Now, I mean, now you just do that with a, with a little square set up behind you. And, and so I think that more than anything, actually TrackMan and the ability to capture all of this data and optimize it has changed the game probably more than the golf ball. And, and some of that goes hand in hand, you know, the, the optimization then changes the golf ball and changes how the manufacturers and the R&D department have put that together and whatever, whatever, whatever. But the basic premise of the golf ball to me is it should spin more. Um, you know, Tiger used to talk about this all the time. Uh, give me a spinny golf ball. It's my job to take spin off of it. And that's kind of what we don't see today is that the ball, even, even, even spinny ones aren't spinny. You, you, you know, I mean, like you, you, if you, you hit a spinny driver, it's 3,100 and that's like super spinny. Um, 3,100 RPMs. I mean, if that, if that went to 4,000 or 4,200, that would change, you know, how you swung at the golf ball. Um, if, if, if your five yard cut became a 12 yard cut because the ball was spinning more and therefore had more side spin, that would change how you went about playing that hole. Same thing in reverse with a draw. Um, you know, part of the reason you can't draw a golf ball anymore is because you can't spin it enough to draw a golf ball anymore off of a tee. It, it can't stay in the air long enough. You can duck hook one, but you, but you can, it's hard to hit a high draw without kind of a into off the right wind because you can't spin it enough. Um, to really keep the ball in the air and have it, have it curve. 
I, I mean, I can hit it left with left, but 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 that's not a draw. No, I said and, this on the fourth hole at Riviera. People were saying like, "Oh, change that hole because it's not blah blah blah." And I was like, "No, no, you change like golf balls, and you can you can actually hit that shot. Like you can hit a two hundred and twenty five yard high draw with a nineteen ninety nine golf ball. You don't hit that shot quite as well these days. Just the way the ball golf ball. Yeah, moves. well, I mean, yeah, you start going golf ball plus hybrids plus you know now we're now we're not spinning at all, right? As opposed to a two iron versus a, a hybrid plus a modern golf ball." versus a 1998 professional you know I mean, all these things go together and and i've always contended like look the usga can do whatever they want um as far as golf ball is concerned the best golfers on the planet are still going to hit it further than they think is possible because we are the best athletes with the best coaches with the best trainers with the best equipment with the best r d folks with the best fitters with the best everything that optimizes the game for peak performance. And, and that's just going to be true no matter what they do. And, and so whatever they, you know, think their cap is going to be, we're going to exceed it somehow because that's well, just what we do. And I've, I've long held that belief, like aside from the technology, the ball itself, the, the golfer, and I'll, I'm going to go to like the high school, to college, to everything else. Like if you want to talk about what changed distance and golf and everything else, is in fact it was tiger woods because he made golf cool right like i'm the same age as tiger woods i played junior golf when tiger did never ever nearly at the same level he did but i can tell you this the kids that were playing junior golf when i was playing junior golf they weren't really the cool kids or the fun kids like i went and hung out with the and this is so country club but like look the hot girls played tennis there were a few over the swim team. So like I'd go hang out over there. There was, I mean, the species of women that play golf today did not exist when I was a junior. If they did, I probably would have actually been better at golf than rowing. <laughs> but, you know, the, the fact is, is that Tiger made, he was the, he was, I won't say the first athlete. I think you could kind of argue Greg Norman was in like kind of really athletic, but like Tiger got very athletic and he made golf very cool. And since Tiger has come up, you know, and not to malign them, they were all great players in their day, but like the Duffy Waldorfs, the Craig Stadlers, you don't see a whole lot of them out on tour anymore. You see a lot of flat bellies, really long, like really flexible, aggressive, athletic swings and players. And so, you know, when I, when I talk, when people talk about this, and the tour and like the distances and everything else, I go back to the fact that the tour is effectively like the Olympians come to town once a week and you could take the the tour to any course. <clears throat> and I know like when the USGA gets a hold of Shinnecock, it becomes impossible. Let the PGA tour get a hold of Shinnecock. And I want to see what people shoot. It's probably not going to be night and day, but it's going to be different than when the USGA has a hold of it. And I think trying to make a rule based on the exception, which is the tour players, is going to have a very negative, unintended consequence. Yeah, I agree with that completely, George. Is you know trying to make any rule based on the point zero zero one percent of of any subset of the population is is really not a a good way to go about governing in in any way. So I'm with you guys in theory on all the like golfers are better athletes. They're more optimized track, man, all these things. Like I, I agree. I will concede all those points for me though. 
it's got to be a combination of ball and club head sort of limitations. I think that the club heads these days are far too forgiving. And whether that's a question of kind of the spring effect, bounce effect coefficient of, of what's you know this or that, that they've got to rein that in, in some meaningful way, in, in my view. And that could be club head CC restrictions on, on certain clubs. It could be ball restrictions in terms of flight characteristics, spin characteristics, but, but there's an interesting one that people throw out every now and again. I wanted to get your guys takes and that's quite frankly, T height. Like right now, the golf tee cannot exceed four four inches. What if it were one inch? No. How how I'm would gonna, that I'm, actually change no. like how we swing drivers? That's well, okay. I want to go back. There was a lot that just got thrown out there. The first thing is is like the the clubs, the springy clubs, this 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 and this this. And Billy, you can correct me. I think a lot of pros play basically forged clubs. They may have some in the higher like three, four, five that they're getting into like the. I won't say player improvement level, but the easy, like more cavity back or something, but they're, they're not playing the spongy filled, super springy clubs. Like they're playing basic clubs that give them the most feedback and response. Cause they know what they're doing and they need that to hit the shot they want to hit and shape the ball. So the, when we talk about at least on the iron side, I know drivers are an entirely different ball of, of technology, but on the iron side, I would bet 70% of pros are playing some form of forged clubs that are only going to have so much spring, if you will. Um, but then to your other point of uh, what were, I don't even remember what the part, the second part of that was. Yeah. I mean, my, I'm just saying like there's, there's spring like effects and I'm more concentrated George on, you know, drivers, fairway woods and and hybrids to a degree, right? Many guys have probably replaced their two or maybe their three iron with, a hybrid of some degree that comes in at a much higher launch angle and and with less spin. Um, so I, I I can see the point on the irons. I wouldn't say guys are playing sort of those game improvement irons that have you know a lot of like super spring like effect or forgiveness at like a, a seven iron or an eight iron level. But, but those the, dudes. But are the just second was just mom. like spinnier ball. No, no, no. But like the dudes hitting five seven wood, they're literally just catching up to my mom who's been work working a five seven nine wood forever, and like. To to and, and in hindsight, hey, right? Take how, take take it easy on us guys with a lot of head covers, okay? Like, no, like take it easy. I the, the here's the crazy part, right? And I am one of those dudes who kept a two iron forever. I loved it, and I also loved the fact that people would be like, "Oh, a two iron," and like I hit my two iron really well, and I could do it. But I was like, "Man, why work this hard? Like, why not make it easier?" And so I switched to a hybrid to replace that. And like Max Homa talked about adding like the seven wood or whatever. And he's like, yeah, man, it's just really easy to hit. <laughs> like it just, it does what I want it to. And it's really easy to hit. So I think some of those woods and those like guys or players will always gravitate towards whatever is easier to hit. And I think you'll see that just like, okay, fine. If you're going to make it spinnier, we're just going to go to like the lofted woods. We'll get the distance through a little bit more mass on the ball. And like, we can solve that problem. But I, I think the spinnier thing is the way to go. I agree with the spinny piece of it, because I, I've said for a long time, if if you make the golf ball spin more, I need 13 new clubs. I can probably keep the same putter. You, you, you know, I, I mean... You, it's going to re-engineer the entire way 
every club through the bag works because it's going to have to, it's now going to be contacting a, a different orb, a, a different thing that flies through the air. So I think that if you make the golf ball spin more, Brian, you solve kind of all the problems that you were bringing up. Um, because if the golf ball spins more than off center hits are more, even, even, even with the forgiving clubs that exist, they're, they're more magnified. And, and so does that then rein in the way guys swing at a golf ball because, you know, 110% every time no longer is a good proposition. And yeah, that's, that's kind of, kind of the way, the way that I think you go, go about it. I so, don't think that's how it's going to be done. I'll just preface that. Going back to the 13 new clubs, how much of clubs, because if, if clubs are a back, reaction to the ball. And, okay. And so, so, so we, so we optimize everything for a driver and freaking figure it out with everything else. Right. But my point is like today's five iron is the same loft as a three iron in 1998. Yeah. So who cares? Right. I, I mean, like put, put lofts on the bottom of the clubs or put distances on the bottom of the clubs. Like that's just an ego thing, right? Oh, I had a seven iron 172. Well, okay. That's really like a five iron that Jack Nicholas played with, but, but who cares? Right. It's just an ego. But if the ball is, and this comes back, I guess like everything, and it, it is this, I don't know what the chicken and the egg here is, but well, we've de-lofted clubs. So guys are hitting five irons, you know, 210 all right cool like are you hitting that same if we were to go back to a traditional five iron are you hitting that 210 like jack nicholas didn't exactly like you know feather dust the ball he swung pretty aggressively and i don't know that his five iron went 210 i don't know what his distance his, his probably did i mean he hit it far that's the that's one of the things that people don't appreciate of of specifically jack is is how far he actually hit it like it's scary actually to think about how far he would have hit it if he had today if he were you know 30 years old today and and then it sounds like um too that there's often this discussion around like bifurcation like should there be a ball that touring professionals and like elite amateurs play versus the everyday player i, I tend to be of the mindset that i'd rather see golf technology just change fundamentally whether that's ball plus limits on spring-like effects or whatever it may be and make that across the board apply to everyone. And, and I think to your point, Billy, around 13 new clubs, you're actually going to be like a boon for manufacturers because everything that I that I have in the bag right now probably needs to be rethought if you give me a sort of a different paradigm to, oh gosh, now I can't say paradigm, a different sort of, you know, baseline no that I have that I have to, uh, yeah, no free ads, a, a, a sort of different baseline that I have to adjust the whole bag to. So I have to rethink if let's say in January 1st, 2024, the ball sort of fundamentally changes a bit, I've got to rethink the rest of my bag. And I think that's a really good thing for not just, you know, professionals, because I think it, it might rein in sort of the distance that we've seen, but it, but it's actually like a good thing for manufacturers and the everyday player. Oh, and here comes my galaxy brain idea. So here's how we settle this and fix it right here. Now, every ball manufacturer the PGA tour affects like will go to almost like a NASCAR model where ball manufacturers get five tournaments a year and they're the only ball that can be played at that tournament. So players just have to show up. Hey, this is the Titleist, one of the five Titleist tournaments. This is one of the five TaylorMade tournaments. This is one of the five Max Fly tournaments. This is one of the five Srixon tournaments. 
Pinnacle is going to get some tournaments. Figure it out, boys. Who loses? The fans win because it's chaos. I think this is like exactly what we need. You you are a chaos theory disruptor, George, and I love it. Um, it's interesting you say that because I I, I we we were talking you know uh, Liv was at Mayakoba this week and it and it takes me back to a time during a restart uh, during one of the you know rain filled Mayakoba weeks in in November where you know everybody's going back out 78 of us are going back out on saturday morning to finish up because of a rain delay and you know all the golf balls are gone and i had to grab a bag of nike golf balls um and and i remember hitting these golf balls on the range and going holy cow the dudes who play this golf ball are really good because it sucks (laughs) i mean it was just like wow I mean, this is like, my point. I, I mean, like, if I had to play this golf ball, I wouldn't be on tour. Like, the guys who are playing this thing are so good because I can get it around in under 75 with this golf ball. I this is my point. You. This is where the chaos comes in. Yeah. And, and so, I mean, that goes back to Brian's point. You change the ball. I don't understand why manufacturers have been against this for as long as they've been against it because I think they sell so many more new golf clubs. If they're, if they're, if, I mean, I get why Titleist is against it because they own all the patents, but, but like, I just don't understand why the other manufacturers like don't want this to happen or haven't been like lobbying for this to happen in essence, because of how much more they would sell and how much it would level the ball playing field and, and whatever. I mean, I I mean, you, you have to figure that R and D departments have these things sitting ready to just spin up into, into production because they know it's been coming for the last five years. Yeah. But I think if you were to do the math, I mean, I can speak for myself. I probably spend $600 a year on golf balls i buy new clubs every five years yeah no question golf balls are recurring spend right it's a it, it's it's not cyclical as much as as the the club side of things are for sure no question well it doesn't sound like we will solve this great golf debate but but plenty of good ideas i and- solved it i had the plan ah, if you solved it <laughs> hey i mean i mean if you get i mean Marketing wise, you 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 definitely solved it because that'd be a lot of money from those particular manufacturers the, to tons to, of money to plug into those. And watch, I mean, like, look, go back to the Ryder Cups, right? Like Phil and Tiger when they had to play alternate shot and they were playing completely different balls. Like, dude, it would be amazing to watch guys show up and every like the pros are good enough, but they're all gonna be off by three, four, five yards, give or take, a little bit of spin. I mean. The frustration and just seeing their face like i I mean if you know it's coming though i mean everybody's just going to be practicing with that ball for two weeks they're going to figure it out again best athletes best training best all of it it's you know i I, anyway make the ball spin less or spin more rather i think spinning more i think we all three agree on that all right well we won't solve it other than the golf ball needs to spin a bit more and i totally agree with that well hey what is coming up next we have a few weeks off before Liv heads to Tucson later in uh, March. But next week, we will have a designated event in Bay Hill and a whatever we call undesignated events. This one is just an opposite field event down in Puerto Rico. Uh, Billy, you've, you've played Bay Hill a bunch of times. You've practiced down there. What should we look forward to uh, this week at this uh, big designated event, Bay Hill? Well, it's a big designated event, and it's a big boy golf course. Uh, you know, super long golf course. The rough is normally up. Uh, Mr. Palmer wanted it to play tough and they have um, 
only increased that legacy in 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 the years since his passing and um you know it's a faders golf course so we, we want to look for guys who move it nicely from left to right you know scotty's defending it's hard to root against him anywhere he goes nowadays uh you know john rom and is obviously on a heater rory's won there before although not a fader traditionally but um it's uh you know it's a it, it it's it's a hold on and 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 see how few bogeys you can make it's 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 more of a U.S. Open type week. Yeah, we didn't have a lot of wind here at the Honda. In fact, they made some comments that, you know, the lack of wind made for some relatively low scores compared to some other years. Um, you know, we've seen some carnage at Bay Hill in the last few years, you know, where guys were saying maybe the greens are too firm given like how much the wind is blowing. Is it one of those golf courses where if the wind is up at all, just just hold on? It feels kind of like that U.S. Open test of just freaking get the ball in the hole however you can. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think that's that's exactly right. If the wind's blowing, it's everything you want. Um, you know, it, it's especially if the wind's blowing in on the first hole. So if kind of the driving range and the and, and number one are kind of into the wind, I can't remember which direction that is off the top of my head, but um, that means you know, seventeen and eighteen are into the wind, and 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 so it's uh, every everything you want. The only good news is is sixteen's downwind, and you can get an iron into the par five, but then you got to turn around and stand on it for seventeen and eighteen. Well, I look forward to watching this designated event. One thing we can be assured of is that they will show at least uh, four thousand clips of all the ways that Tiger Woods made putts on the eighteenth hole there at Bay Hill. So prepare yourself for the deluge of Tiger Woods winning video clips. Yeah. Before we go, I've got a question. Um, Billy, you are playing the Seminole Pro member this week. Is there a Calcutta? And if so, how big does that get? There is not an official Calcutta. Um, I'm unaware exactly how big the unofficial Calcutta may or may not get. But um, no, it's a super fun event. You know, I've played the the Seminole Pro member a, a number of times dating back to my rookie year on tour in in 2012 and um you know been been fortunate enough to be a part of it such a a great group of of members and pros that that show up each year to uh to to hang out for a day and 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 have have a fun time on a on a terrific golf course well, we wish you luck at the uh, Seminole Pro member. Next year, we will send you down there with Living It Up uh, stickers to just drop on everybody's golf bag. Uh, but we wish you luck in that, and we will uh, watch Bay Hill, and I will see you boys this time next week. Thanks for listening to the Living It Up podcast. Follow us on the Twitters at Living It Up Pod. See you there.